We return to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and we find ourselves in Ben Ware's book on page 122, and it speaks of David's sin, particularly with Bathsheba and then Uriah the Hittite. But before we get into that, let's go back to the Davidic covenant for a moment. We'll look at page 120, and Ben Ware summarizes that covenant, and then we'll take a moment and look at the map on page 121. But the Davidic covenant, here are five parts that we can see. Ben Ware summarizes them well. Part one, David's name will be great. That was fulfilled in David's own lifetime as well as throughout history. We still remember King David as the great king and psalmist of Israel. Uh, number two, David would have rest. Rest from his enemies was one of the realities of David's life. Although after his sin he had trouble, there were periods of David's life where he had rest from his enemies. Number three, David would have a house. This doesn't refer to a physical structure, but a dynasty. His line would never be cut off. In other words, there is going to be a king of David on the throne, and Christ will be the fulfillment and um, notice at the bottom of this chart on the Abrahamic Covenant it says 3, 4, and 5 await ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So one might say, well, where's the Davidic king right now? And why? So there's no ruling dynasty right now that follows King David, but in Christ it will be uh, a kingdom that has no end. A Davidic king will eternally sit on the throne. And then Number four, David would have a throne. The right to rule Israel would always belong to David's line. Number five, David would have a kingdom. This included an actual land area to rule over, as well as the other aspects of a kingdom. Then simply look at page 121 next to that Davidic covenant chart, and you can see the areas where um, David ruled. You see Jerusalem there towards the middle of the map in Judah. First he ruled in Hebron and then moved the tabernacle and the palace to Jerusalem, making that the religious center of worship. It just keep in mind that you would always go up to Jerusalem because it was a high point. And if you came from the north, the south, the east, or the west, everyone would go up to Jerusalem and down from Jerusalem, no matter which direction you came. You can see the kingdom of Philistia, the Philistines, in Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ashdod, and Gath. You can see Judah's uh, solid area up to the north, Phoenicia, and Syria with Damascus, and Dan there. You can see the Sea of Chinnereth, also known as the, as the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Even in Jesus' day, it would have been known as. And then the whole Israel of the whole area of Israel, Ammon, Moab, Edom. Refer back to that map as you read about battles with these various nations. And then we get into page 122 again on in Benware, where David sins greatly. Um, David is known as a great king. And make sure, once again, that we're thinking of kings as kings and we're not 
somehow mixing these kind of offices with a pastoral or eldership um, office or something like that to keep them distinct. David is the anointed king for life, and he sins greatly. He sees Bathsheba, and this was sin to him. And let's let's look for a moment at, at chapter 11, David and Bathsheba, and you'll note some some significant points here. Chapter 11, verse 1, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbath. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, that little part, those, those, um, that one verse, it says that what was normal, what was customary, was for David for kings to go out to battle. But David sent someone in his place. David ought to be out at battle, but he remained in Jerusalem. Now, is it direct sin? Well, the text doesn't say that, so we may be reading into the text if we were to say that David sinned by staying in Jerusalem. But rather, um, David, I, I think it would be the greater part of wisdom for him to be out there leading his people, although Joab was a great warrior, and clearly they had success, but having success doesn't justify um one way or the other, what David should have done. Now, so he's not where he was supposed to be. We would just say in life, and we find this true, that being in the right place at the right time and doing that which pleases the Lord, the right thing, okay, it's going to bring God's reward. Do God's work, God's way, and you'll bring God's reward. Doesn't mean that you're going to have uh, everything in life easy. In fact, Jesus promises that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you as well. So we can expect all who wish to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So just because we're in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, doing God's work and God's way and getting God's reward doesn't mean that we'll be persecution free. Uh, Paul obeys God. Peter obeys God overall, and they suffer. John, the apostle, he's imprisoned. So just because we're doing God's work God's way doesn't mean that we'll meet with earthly prosperity. Rather, we'll meet with God's blessings. And like we've said multiple times now, the fruit of the Spirit. We will be like Christ. We'll have a, God, a godly attitude, and we'll be more in the image of Christ more and more, more like him, more sanctified. But David, he sees Bathsheba and he takes her and then he ends up, um, when she gets pregnant, that he sends out to kill her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And so David has thoroughly sinned. He has covered up his sin. He has denied it. He's taken his position as the Lord's anointed and abused it even sending Uriah the Hittite out to the front lines of the battle, seeing to it that he certainly would be killed. Chapter 12 of 2 Samuel records Nathan's great rebuke, where he gives the illustration of two men in a certain city, and the rich man takes the poor man's little ewe lamb, the only lamb that the poor man had, and he serves him for dinner for a guest. 
David, greatly angered, says, As the Lord lives, this man shall die. And Nathan says, You are the man. In other words, you took Uriah the Hittite's wife and you took Uriah the Hittite's life. You have sinned greatly. Now let's look at the bottom of uh, Ben Ware's book, page uh, 122, the right-hand column. Speaking of the sins of murder and adultery, both of these sins were capital crimes in Israel. There was no sacrifice available to cover them. David the king faced death, but though burdened by terrible guilt, he would not confess. It took a storm, a declaration by his friend Nathan, to bring David to the point of genuine confession. And you can read about that confession in Psalm 51, a beautiful psalm. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David genuinely repents. In Psalm 32, he speaks about that great effect that carrying the weight of such a sin had on him. And Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are two psalms that would be worth looking at and reading. Benoit, page 123. His sin was forgiven, but Nathan informed David that there would be two results. One, the baby would die. Two, David would see sin and rebellion in his own household. And so it happened. One of his sons raped one of his daughters, one son murdered another son, and one ran away from the home and caused a rebellion against David. David's sin of murder and adultery were forgiven, but they had natural consequences that God allowed to fall onto David. The spiritual moral uh, failure of King David has been recorded as a warning to all. Yes, David was a man after God's own heart, but he dealt with the consequences of his sin throughout the rest of his life. And thus we come to the book of 1 Kings and we find our conclusion of 2 Samuel.